There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to Wood Talk Online with your hosts, Mark and Matt. Take it away, boys. Welcome to Wood Talk Online, Episode 6, a woodworking podcast for woodworkers by woodworkers. Absolutely, Mark. Uh, welcome back once again. And as always, let's get this right off at, at the very top of the show. If you have any comments or questions, by all means, you, know, you can reach us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, and we're ready and waiting for your questions. So, Mark, I looks like we have quite a few emails here and Indeed. I don't know it's, it's definitely been a busy week for me so uh, I, I think I might have mentioned that I'm finally seeing my shop for the first time this week so I don't really have too much <laughs> to go with my shop unfortunately I miss it but uh, any, anything with you or you want to yeah. just jump right into emails <laughs> life has a way of uh, intervening sometimes um, yeah I've been busy I just keep coming up with ideas or not really like I invent these things but I keep um, you know discovering things that just make the whole process of the podcasting thing, you know, it, more interactive with people. So um, I just get intrigued by these things and feel the need to add them to the website. And it's it's a good thing. It just makes a little bit more work for me sometimes. So, uh, gotcha. yeah, we, we recently added uh, a chat room to the webcam page, Ooh. Um, which is pretty cool. Uh, people are very nice. And uh, <laughs> the other thing is I, I actually I get stuck in there uh, the past few days. It's It's been pretty obvious that if I stop and say one or two things, one or two things then becomes a 10-minute conversation. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun, but it's I could see I could get myself in trouble with that. Uh, oh, absolutely. And, yeah, and the, the biggest uh, advance that we did was um, changing the, the webcam from just a couple pictures a minute to uh, you know, to actually having streaming video. Uh, oh, okay. So, yeah, so people can actually come to the website, go to the webcam page, hang out, chat with other woodworkers, chat with me if I happen to be around, and they could see what's going on in the shop. Uh, nice. So, yeah, so we did our first experimental show on on Sunday, and it was a live recorded show where I just did a quick shop tour. Uh, okay. And everything went pretty well. We had a, a couple, um, you know, snags with the audio, but we again, that's why it was experimental. And now I know what I need to do. But it turned out really well. People seem to to love it. So I think we're probably going to do more of those in the future. Excellent. Well, congratulations on it. That's a that's a huge step. <laughs> it's it's kind of cool. Well, you know, the thing is, the technology had to catch up to the idea, and someone finally came out with a website that allows you to do this stuff uh, for free. It's UStream. Dot TV and uh, it's I don't know where they're getting their money you know obviously their bandwidth uh, you know costs must be insane but they're, oh, they're, yeah. they're managing to do it so uh, I'm going to take advantage of it as much as possible and uh, clearly other people are too so ride that pony right into the ground basically <laughs> oh yeah I mean yeah, definitely and I don't know whether they're going to be around for a long time but now it's it's just like YouTube everyone said the same thing about YouTube when they first came out uh, that it wasn't going to be able to last, but somehow they have, and somehow there's hundreds of copycat websites. So uh, once something like this is done, even if that original site goes away, the technology uh, hurdle has already been, uh, you know, taken care of. So uh, hopefully this will be this will be here to stay for a while. 
That is that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Now, see now when when you have those down moments where the audio is down, that's when you got to break out the, the tap shoes and, and you know throw <laughs> a little sawdust down to a little soft shoe, a little. Yeah, people catch me <laughs> doing all kinds of, people catch me doing all kinds of funny stuff. I do. Uh, I play basketball once in a while when I'm in the shop and. Uh, when I have my headphones on and music playing, I have to remember that people probably won't enjoy my singing very much. So I gotta, I gotta keep it under control. <laughs> and don't forget, just in case you have any itchy moments, it's best to step off camera to you take care what? of those I, moments. <laughs> I, I don't care. I just, I just scratch where it itches. Just let it all hang out. <laughs> let well, it all hang maybe out. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, well, let's run into uh, some emails. See what we got. Okay, sweet. Okay, well, the first one I think we're going to start off with um, is uh, actually from from Ty, and Ty has a question here, which is: Two friends of mine have asked me to make a bar with them this summer. Now they pretty much know what they want, but my question is: What is that thick top layer on top of the finish on a bar? It's epoxy of some sort, I guess. How difficult is that top layer to make, and how expensive? Is it difficult to get that mirror finish on the top? Any tips and ideas would be great. Uh, thanks, Ty. Okay, well, um, I think you know a little bit more about this. I, I did a little search online, and I, I remember seeing something even like in, in Home Depot. I think it was called a Epoxy Bar Top or something like that. I mean, uh -huh. the name pretty much said it, said it all. And uh, like I said, I, I, I kind of did a, a quick search online, and I don't know, I just brought up this like really kind of generic one, which was basically like portable clear epoxy bar and tabletop coatings. And they even go so far as to, I'm not sure who exactly it is, who the distributor is or anything like that, but they, you know, pretty much tell you like, you know, if you, if you want the table to be, you know, so big or something like, well, actually like first things first, basic math and one gallon of anything applied a quarter inch thick will cover only slightly less than six and a half square feet, according to this, and they kind of break into it. So I'm like, and I like this, like, you know, Murphy's Law seems to like poured epoxy tabletop uh, tops. It's amazing how things can go south even when the pros sometimes, you know, mess up big th big time, I think is what it says. And okay. you know, I thought that was kind of neat. So I've never actually done this, and I'm wondering – do you have any any tips here for Ty? You know, I haven't actually done it either, and it's something that uh, a few different times I've had uh, jobs where I put a bid out that I, I would have had to do something like that for like a, a small restaurant, um, and I never actually got a chance to do it. But you're you're right on track. I mean, the finish is a poured, two, usually a two part epoxy style finish, uh, and you actually just literally pour it on the surface, and it self levels, and you just have to make sure nothing falls in the finish uh, while it's drying. But that is pretty much the process. Um, okay. a, a lot of times you have to keep that in mind when you're building this, uh, you know, building the bar top because you're, you're really going to be pouring a layer of this stuff down. And if you just have a nice rounded over edge, you may wind up watching this stuff just drip off the side. <laughs> so it's probably not a bad idea to build into the top some sort of a recess on the top. So maybe your sides, your trim that's around the outside edges of the bar should maybe be up about an eighth of an inch. I mean, I, I would hope that the instructions might give you some details on that to, to give you an idea of when this stuff starts to settle down and level, um, how thick of a layer is it going to be? Okay. Um, but obviously you could build that layer up as thick as you want, just buy more material and build up your edges more. Um, trying to look one other product. I know you just mentioned, I see it all the time when I look in, you know, a woodcraft or rockler catalog or something. Um, but there is a product that was recommended to me, and it was the one that I was going to use, and it's by a company called Clockit. Okay. And I think I've just seen that name before. Yeah, and I'm looking on their website right now, and I should have been a little more prepared for this, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that they sell a – yep, they do, finishing supplies. So it's Clockit.com, and that's K-L-O-C-K-I-T.com, and go under their uh, tools and finishes, and you'll see a bar – and tabletop craft coat, it's called, and they, you know they sell it in a couple different uh, sizes. But that stuff is supposed to be really, really good for that purpose as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, though the one site I brought up, and I'm kind of looking at it here, it's uh, epoxyproducts.com, and I, I really don't know anything about this one. I just kind of did a quick Google search and said, well, there's something that looks like they might know, you know, something on there just to take a look at it, and they kind yeah. of. Yeah, kind of what you're talking about, like with building up the side and everything. Uh -huh. And uh, they actually have a picture here where they have like a nice round table, and they actually have that where they've built up almost like a dam around the yeah, outside you, of it. You sort of have to, because how else would you hold it in, you know? Yeah, run around real quick with a brush. No, stay yeah. in place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk about uh, drips and things. I, I, I don't know that you'd get very far with that. Anything else to add to that one? Or that? I think that's no. pretty good. It's, uh, I think a, that's a couple what he of, wants. 
Yeah, that's a couple of good spots for you, Ty, to check out those those two. You'll kill yourself with poly. I mean, that would be like 100 coats of poly, so I wouldn't even worry about uh, polyurethane. A, a poured-on, simple finish, and it'll be nice and glossy, just like you see in a bar. Oh, yeah. You, it seems like if you want to do that, too, you'd have to have like the perfect dust-free environment, like space. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you would. Okay, let's see here. Uh, we have another one that, uh, let's see, uh, Craig uh, sent us an email. And his question is, this is kind of a long one, so let's see if I can kind of cut it down a little bit. But, hi, guys. I'm really enjoying your podcast and Wood Talk Online. Please keep up the good work. Now, I have a question for you. Lately, I've been working on several large uh, cherry panels that need to be glued up. And he's saying the size is like 20, 21 inches by 42 inches. Okay. That's a pretty good size. Sure. Uh, this is the first time I've done anything like this large, and I'm having some trouble trying to figure out the optimal way to glue up the panels. My first attempt resulted in a bowed panel. I cut it apart again, made sure the edges were square and tried again and he said he got better results the second time through uh of course there was the the ridge in the in the middle where the panels came together um and let's see here uh he said that uh since the panels will be seen from both sides and needs to be cut with a cove on the edge i want to be sure the cove cut will be even and a lot of sanding could jeopardize that what's a good method to get flat glue ups with well-matched joints i have several cap uh, cabinet clamps and a number of pipe clamps c clamps etc um, and so basically, I guess he's really kind of asking, you know, how can you make large panels successfully? Right. So, uh, so mm. I have a few ideas, but I want to hear yours. <laughs> I would hire someone else to do it. No. Oh, um, that's my first thought too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's a fundamental thing to learn. Um, generally for panels, um, after everything is jointed, planed, and you've got, you know, nice square corners, obviously longer boards are going to be a little trickier to joint. Um, and there is a little technique involved, but, um, you know, that's, that's one of those cases where something like, uh, biscuits or, you know, the little domino biscuits would be awesome to keep your joints level. Uh, no matter how good you joint the boards at some point, uh, the boards are going to want to slip from uh, when you start to match up that joint and clamp it down. They're going to want to slip up, you know, off of one of one or the other just because it's wet. It's got glue on it. Um, so in order to stop them from being offset in the final glue up, I just use biscuits for alignment. Uh, they don't really add a whole lot in the way of strength, but they will actually keep everything nice and aligned and really save you a lot of headache uh, down the line. So typically, that's that's what I usually do. I I, I find that using the parallel style clamps gives me a lot of a sort of just support for the board so it's a little bit easier when you're actually doing the uh the full clamp of you know four or five however many panels you've got going or uh boards to make that panel i just lay my clamps out and put all the uh, the boards on top and have all my biscuits cut ahead of time and it's going to save you a lot of a uh, headache with those biscuits a couple of things that crossed my mind was I'm thinking if it's about 21 inches wide, that's that's still a pretty good wide board. But sure. maybe if uh, you could you could come up with a set of calls, um, I think that's the yeah that's the way you say calls. And it's you know they, they you can use those to maybe help knock that little bit of a ridge in the middle if you're familiar with them. Just kind of a, a board that would be the length of well the width of the board of the panel that you're making, and then it, it touches more or less in the middle. You have a slight. Uh, I guess kind of a camber is what you could describe it, uh, the boards as. And then when you squeeze down, that, that pressure will actually bring the boards kind of into alignment. So that's that maybe might be one option you could do to get them in place. Um, I was thinking also, I know that I've done this in the past, which is basically, and this would really completely depend on the width of the stock that you're working with. Um, if you're using like, you know, three or four boards to make up that wider panel, maybe taking the time to really make you know a couple smaller ones and then bring in the larger ones together that's a lot more manageable you know if you're not using biscuits or something to keep them in alignment all the way through to to kind of control that that ridge that you might get from it uh yeah. that was that was another thing i was thinking because i know that's i tried that once i was making a tabletop and before i ever even thought about using biscuits or really even you know was even ever got my biscuit uh cutter um that's what I tried to do that, and I was like, why aren't these all lining up? I've got ridges right. all over the place, and it was insane. And that was that was the first thing I tried was trying to go to uh, narrower panels and then kind of bringing them together. takes a little bit longer, obviously, because you're making these smaller ones, and then eventually, once those get in place, you can bring them together. But yeah. that's definitely something. Yeah, and don't don't be afraid to throw some clamps across the joint, too, if you got a bunch of little F-style clamps. 
Um, you know, you can get away with throwing those just at the end of each board where the two boards meet each other and yep. clamp right across that joint and that'll actually squeeze those down together. And if you got a couple blocks of wood, use a little packing tape on the wood so it doesn't stick to the glue, but use them as calls, like you said, and just sort of uh, pinch that joint down nice and even so that they have no choice but to be perfectly uh, lined up with each other. If the, it sounded like the one concern that he had was with, with the ends, if he was going to put that cove on the ends, you know, it's one thing if the ridge is in the very middle, but if you want to make sure that the, the edges are com- completely, you know, in, in the same plane, you know, you, you could take like the C-clamps or something and maybe pinch down right where that joint line is so that at least you can force the, the very ends to be in plane. And then worse comes to worse, you just have to maybe deal with if there is any, like a little bit of ridge towards the center. Obviously, that way when you're going to put up whatever edge profile you have on the on the edge then hopefully at least that's in, in plane it's one less thing that you'd have to worry about i know i've done that one a ton of times like you know forget the stuff in the middle i'm worried about this right here i'll take care of that other one later on yeah exactly so yeah uh, i think that's that was pretty much my suggestions and mm-hmm, that, that's sure. definitely cool you know and then one thing actually there was an email that kind of came in uh along the lines of the biscuit and i think you pretty much kind of answered this one but there was one that came in from john who basically was saying that uh, he was watching a uh, competitor's podcast, which we won't go into. Uh, oh, we have competitors? Be... There is. Uh, I've heard Since that there when? are somebody, some guy named Matt's Basement. Wait, no, that's not a competitor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so the, it's the uh, Woodsmith podcast. Uh, he was watching one of those, and they were uh-huh. making uh, panels. And he said the presenter said he does not use biscuits when jointing panels. Uh, I, and John says that he's always used them not only for the ease of alignment but also for strength. And he didn't make the panel stronger, or he didn't. He said it didn't make the panel stronger and right. might even make it weaker. And he was just kind of interested in um, our opinions on uh, biscuits on panels. And obviously, I. I use them when I can. I I think that the most important thing is that they help with the alignment. Uh, I, I, to some degree, I think they do assist with strength, but that's not my main purpose for using them in panels. It's more yeah, or less a, for not the in alignment. That application, right? Right. Yeah. Because I mean, a, a long grain to long grain joint is definitely far stronger than an end grain to long grain or anything like that. But yeah, yeah it's and I de- I, w- I would definitely not. I I guess if you o- did some overkill and you put a biscuit maybe every two or three inches, you might technically weaken the joint um the, the whole thing to remember is that they're not going to add much in the way of strength what's really going to be strong is like you just mentioned the long grain glue bond so the more you break that up the more you might potentially create uh, a situation where it's not as strong um, but if you're doing your biscuits every you know 12 inches just for alignment i mean i don't think you're going to notice a difference at all uh, in terms of strength so yeah definitely use them yeah, I'm sure if you were doing it like every couple inches, the manufacturers of the biscuits would love for you to tell other people to do that. <laughs> oh, yeah, they would love it. They would love it. In fact, maybe I would actually invest in one of those companies, and you can buy them from me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so let's nice. see here. Um, let's go on to another email that comes up here, and uh, let's see here. Uh, who's, who is this? This would be – Who is oh, that? You know I don't even have his – I, I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't get this person's. Uh, oh, Terry, that's hey, you're ahead of me. I have nothing at all. So. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, <laughs> I'm gonna. Uh, I'm just gonna make up the noise. I think it's it's Terry here, and Terry says, you know, hey guys, I was just listening to show number four, and he. Oh, he's kind of commenting on Ron number two's email. Ron number uh, two. Uh, I remember Ron number okay. two. And he's about getting a square edge and then our sled idea. Uh, uh, but I have found that if a jointer isn't an option, so this is one of those, what would you do if you didn't have a jointer? Okay. And um, let's see here. Uh, the next best thing is the router table. To square the edge, of course, it won't help on the face of the board. But if you get up on the router table as you would the jointer with the outfeed side, even with the straight cutters. Okay, I see what he's, he's kind of giving us another option for uh, jointing boards. Okay, just uh, the, the router table method? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, kind of set the outfeed table like a thirty-second of an inch or so, and and use that as a uh, as a modified jointer, basically. Gotcha. Okay. So I think um, I did actually show that technique in one of my videos quickly. Um, I don't do it very often, but I did demonstrate it. Uh, I think it was episode six, jointers jumping, I believe. Okay. Yeah. I const- constantly refer to that one. That's that's <laughs> uh, a good technique, uh, alternative technique video. Oh, yeah, that definitely. That's because I, I know I've tried that one in the past too, 
And I, I didn't have good results with it because I didn't quite understand the concept of holding it in place. I just assumed you ran it through. And yeah, it's <laughs> you, it's you know. it's kind of tricky, you know. But what you, the thing is, when you don't have all of the dedicated equipment, you you have to sort of get creative and come up with different ways to do things, and that's that's just one of them. Right. You know, and it's funny because when I was reading that, uh, his, his – well, that wasn't so much a question. I guess actually this was more, that was more of a statement or kind of a, a backup for us. That made me think of another jointing option. And I just had to run this one past you. I found this. It was a long time ago. In fact, it was back in 2003 from a, a magazine that I had, and they actually had made a jointer fence for a table saw. And essentially, it worked on the same notion as that as the router table. Essentially, you know, you had one side of the this modified table saw fence that stuck out about a thirty second of an inch or so. Mm-hmm. Actually, I mean, this was about an eighth of an inch, and you would actually run the stock through and get the same exact effect. I, mean, I just, wow, I had to pull it out and I was looking at. It, I'm like, that just, nah, I couldn't bring myself to yeah, do that. That's, that's crazy, <laughs> huh? Yeah, that definitely that that brings up a whole other couple of issues. I do well, believe <laughs> necessity is the uh, mother of invention, as they say. So, absolutely. Uh, let's see here. How about this one here? We heard from Dan, and Dan is saying that he's just starting on his first project, which is going to be a simple coffee table design. I found basic descriptions of various types of joints online, mortise biscuit, pocket holes, etc., but I'm not sure how to pick one for my design. I would like your opinions on some of the strengths and weaknesses of the various joints for different projects. Well, actually, that was that's pretty much a whole entire episode by itself it's a whole show <laughs> that really it is um as you know the really the, my opinion about this one is when it comes down to it i don't know dan i don't really know how much experience you really have with you know with woodworking what exactly your level is and everything but of course mortise is the ideal way to go if you have the time to really put into it um i'm gonna i'm gonna just kind of jump out here a little bit and say maybe he's kind of like maybe a, you know along the same level as like a, a basic woodworker or something like that. So maybe sure. the mortise is still kind of a kind of new. It might be a great opportunity to play with it, but when time, it comes it down might to, be time to do it, time to learn it. Exactly. This is one yeah. of those you got to jump in and get your feet wet kind of a thing. Right. And uh, you know the mortise really, when it comes down to it, is, is perhaps one of the strongest joints that's out there. I mean, that's just that's that's a hallmark. That's one of the the basic building blocks of woodworking. Yeah. So that's a good way to go. Biscuits. I don't know. Uh, an apron to a table uh, leg with biscuits. Not I think the right you're, joint. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's you're really starting to push push your luck there. Pocket holes. Um, that they do work. They're they're strong. I I use them for quite a bit of my stuff. But again, it really depends on the uh the overall uh strength that I want from it. I don't know for if I was going to use them for a table apron like for a coffee table or something like that, I would definitely have to have them reinforced with glue blocks and maybe a few other things. Right. Um what, what do you what do you think for a Well, I mean for a coffee table, that that's kind of a heavy duty piece. I mean, it's going to be long, it's going to be some weight to it. That would be the optimal time to learn how to make a proper mortise and tenon. Um, a biscuit just isn't going to be strong enough. You don't get the uh, penetration you're looking for. And, um, you know, a pocket hole screw, eh, I mean, it can work. You can get a good, nice, long, you know, screw and actually get a good bite. But there, I mean, that's, I don't know. That just doesn't sit well with me to do it that way. So, right. um, I mean, yes, technically you could get a decent joint, but really, I mean, it's it's definitely a good opportunity to uh challenge yourself and learn how to do the mortise and tenon properly and uh, the piece of furniture will be much better for it absolutely you know and and once you get a basic down like the mortise and tenon um you know it it can be time consuming but it definitely is perhaps the strongest way to go And, and really this is one of your perhaps one of your first projects and everything um it's a it's a fantastic way why not start out you know and with one of the strongest things you can, you know, yeah. and really build yourself from there. And I mean, in, in general, depending on what, what, what type of piece he's doing or what, you know, what application, just to speak about the three different types he's mentioning, um, you know, pocket holes and biscuits certainly do have their place. And if you're building doors and you need to get them done fast, or if you're doing, uh, you know, a face frame and you're looking for a good way to join the pieces of the, the rails and styles of the face frame, um, you know, there are times when, when those pocket holes are going to save you time and money and they're going to be a very strong, secure joint. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you're talking about joining aprons to legs and, you know, the more heavy duty weight bearing things, that's probably when you want to rely on the, the tried and true joints. Right. You know, another one that maybe pops in here that he didn't mention, and I know I've used these ones in the past, but I, I don't go to them as much anymore because 
I didn't really have a decent jig for it, but it's dowels. I know a lot of sure. people, you know, will go that route. And, and it also kind of falls into that sense of like the, the loose tenon, which again, kind of like that, that festival domino, it's kind of a, a very big uh, loose tenon when it really comes down to it. Yeah. Dowels actually, I've, I've seen a few um, reviews on them. I've seen a few videos or strength tests and mm-hmm. they are incredibly strong when done properly. So definitely nothing wrong with that either. I love it when they do the anvil test and show the the strength of the mortise and tenon. That's <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. I still can't convince my wife to let me set up a harness and just do it for the fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a sight to see. Better get that on tape if you do it. Yeah, maybe I'll try that the streaming video. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I, yeah, I tune in. So let's see here. Well, since we have we're talking about mortise and tenon, uh, let's see here. We actually have a, a question that is asking about mortise and tenon. This is by Brian. And Brian says, hi, your show is great. Here's a question for you guys. I'm cutting tenons with my table saw. And my question is this. How do you get a clean edge so that the mortise and tenon uh, looks good when assembled? I find very tiny tear outs that make the joint look less attractive. And this is a real get me downer. Now, just for to, to make a note, he says here, my blade is sharp and my jig seems solid. Ooh, mm. that's kind of jiggy. Jiggy. So, uh well, if the blade's sharp, I'm pretty much lost. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. He says it's sharp. The question is, how does he know for sure? Now, if it's a brand new blade, I guess you could take his word for it that it's sharp. Mm-hmm. Now, just to, to clarify, to make sure you and I are on the same page, what he's talking about with the tear-out, it sounds like on the shoulder, so that when the uh, when the piece is assembled and he goes to get that nice, flush, you know, clean look, He's mm-hmm. got a problem because the tear out is there. So what we're talking about is a cross grain tear out that he's seeing when he's cutting, uh, you know, the 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 shoulder of the tenon essentially. Mm-hmm. Now the interesting thing is he mentions his jig. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So I'm assuming he's cutting his the cheeks of his tenon using some sort of a tenoning jig. Now, typically, see, I'm, I'm having trouble picturing exactly why he would, if his blade is sharp, why he would get a tear-out situation. Uh, right. Because normally you would, you would use, you know, maybe a, cross-cut sled or a miter, uh, you know, some sort of a miter gauge, and you would trace all four sides of the, the tenon shoulders and make just a nice, you know, little curve cut basically all the way around, establishing uh, the outside border of the tenon, and then you would, you know, put it into uh, into the jig and cut your cheeks. Um, so as long as that first cut is done really well, you'll be okay. So if he's having a problem there, uh, I would recommend, number one, he could go to a blade that has more teeth, just to ensure that he's going to get an absolute smooth cut. So maybe like a plywood blade. Um, although if he's got a good sharp 40 tooth blade, that shouldn't really be a problem. Um, if he's getting tear out at the back end, which is very typical, um, just make sure you're using a zero clearance backing board on your miter uh, gauge. You know, So just get a piece of uh, three quarter inch plywood, double stick tape it or screw it onto your miter gauge and put that behind the workpiece so that you have support behind the uh, behind the actual cut and that's going to give you a much much cleaner cut uh, other than that geez he could he could always wrap the spot where he's going to be cutting he could wrap that in masking tape and that'll also hold the grain in place and just use your fingernail to burnish it onto the wood and, and make sure it's a really nice uh, tight taping job. Um, also make sure you tape the other end of the board so that you don't have any unevenness between the two sides. Um, but other than that, I mean, he should be getting a pretty clean cut. 
Yeah, that that sounds good. That pretty much all of your advice was exactly what I was thinking, um, especially the masking tape. By all means, it's so funny because it's. I, I think a lot of people, something as simple as that, you know, it's they don't realize the fact that there are so many things out there that aren't necessarily you know what traditional woodworking tools that would really do a fantastic job in and the wood with tear shop. out that's a great trick whether you're you know using plywood and you're cutting with a circular saw or uh even there's times i've had to cut plywood with a jigsaw that i just knew i was going to wind up getting uh excessive tear out and and tape uh is a little bit of a miracle worker there in, in terms of keeping the grain intact and stopping tear out it's it's pretty awesome absolutely yeah the the only thing i could add to it is the um when when you mentioned you know marking the four the the four uh, uh, sides anyways deep, deep, deep. <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> uh, um I, I was thinking you know I I talked once about using a marking knife which I, I like using that when I can um, assuming I can get a straight line it depends on what day it is and what what time of yeah. the hour of it is and everything but the one thing I like about that is it does shear those the, the the fibers right at the top so that if I do you know, if I don't have it supported enough at the back, you know, to avoid the, the tear out and everything else, that actually will kind of reduce some of that tear out for well, me. That's that's actually an excellent point that I completely overlooked. Yeah, you could just use a, a marking gauge or uh, a marking knife and trace around the outside. That that would solve it immediately. Great idea. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even just like, you know, just a simple exacto knife. I mean, the, the first marking mm -hmm. knife I ever had, that's exactly what that was. And Yep, that's yeah. all you need. Exactly, and the main thing is it, it shears the fibers for you, so, you know, even with a duller blade, it's not so bad, but we don't want to use dull blades. Definitely uh, not. Not good for you. <laughs> nope, nope, that's bad. Bad for everybody. So, let's see here. I'm going to move on to who, who should be our next question, um, and I'm going to say it's the guy in the third row. Wait, no, not that guy. <laughs> no, he's um, got an attitude. Yeah, he does, and I don't like that T-shirt he's wearing. Uh, <laughs> it's a Wood Whisperer T-shirt, sorry. <laughs> oh, don't even get me started on that guy. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. Here we have one from Pete, and Pete says, I have heard several times, including on your show, the importance of being able to use hand tools properly and skillfully. Oh, wait, wait, before we move on to this, one more thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, with, with, with going back to that mortise and tenon, I know what I was thinking also. Not only, you know, there's that the idea of the... Uh, um, the marking knife or a cutting gauge or something or you know a marking gauge but if you are familiar with like a um uh, a shoulder plane uh, you know you could even maybe do something like that to help clean up the edges just a little bit if that was the situation uh, but sure. if you're not familiar with a shoulder plane you know no big deal not a lot of other people are either <laughs> right oh you know what now that you just brought that up i'm also thinking one issue he could have is if if things aren't perfectly aligned if you know maybe his blade isn't exact exactly 90 degrees a lot of times you're when you insert the tenon piece into the mortise you can see a little bit of a gap all the way around because what's actually happening is your uh the actual shoulder itself is not cut perfectly square um so you wind up having a little bit of a lift because there may be debris uh, on the inside of the joint there so one thing that you can do is take a chisel a nice sharp chisel and very carefully pare away some of the material from the outside into the tenon itself and you know stay away from the outside edge but just remove some of that you know inside material give it like a concave shape and that will make sure that the uh the outside of the shoulder seats perfectly uh to the surface that we're joining it to so that that's just another little tip i i almost do that almost uh anytime i make a good size you know mortise and tenon joint that's a, a good trick to do just to be safe and make sure it's going to sit uh really nice and tight and look like a nice clean line there you go. Oh, here, here's another one. How about we chamfer the end and just call it good? You could do that, <laughs> put too. A, put a little bit on there like, no, that's part of the new fashion design. You want that. Yeah, actually, that might look pretty interesting. <laughs> okay, so now let's move on to Pete's. Moving and on. Let's see. Uh, Pete here, uh, I have heard several times, including on your show, the importance of being able to use hand tools properly and skillfully. I recently have read up on some articles about hand-cut dovetails and plan to give it a shot. But being that I have learned all my woodworking skills with the use of power tools, I am interested in what you believe are the key three to five or more hand tool skills one should be proficient at. Uh, thanks in advance. Keep up the good work uh, with the show, Pete. Okay, let's see. Three to five. The key three to five hand tool uh, skills one should be proficient with. Hmm. Definitely um, chisel use. I think Good that's one. one that, you know, it's definitely overlooks. I mean, a great set of bench chisels, and it doesn't have to be like a full complement of every possible fraction you can think of. <sighs> you know, I mean, I think you see four would be good, right? I mean, just a basic set of four. Yeah, you know, like quarter inch, maybe a half inch, definitely, you know, like a, a one inch and, you know, maybe I don't know, three quarter or even an eighth of an inch. Uh, 
Yeah, um, I, I don't actually. The smallest I have is a quarter, and there have been times that I've wanted one to go a little bit smaller, but uh, I've gotten away, you know, for a number of years now with just a quarter inch as my smallest chisel. So I, you know, I think a, a good set of four, like like you said, quarter inch, uh, half inch, mm-hmm. three quarters, and then an inch. I think that that would be a great set of chisels. Yeah, actually, I think that's pretty much. I, I, I think I had something that looked like an eighth of an inch, but it turned out it was just a piece of wire that was hanging next to the chisels that were <laughs> up on go. the rack. Anyways, I'm like, whoa, whoa that one's nice. not, not very sharp. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, definitely when it comes to chisels, I think, you know, and that's one thing that I think is kind of funny is a lot of people will see these fantastic sets, you know, these wooden box ones, and they're like, you know, ooh, gotta have that. Right. You know, and it's like, well, whoa, no, you don't. You really only need the basic ones, and you need to, to number one, sharpen them up properly so that Absolutely. you can get great results with them because that's one thing I think a lot of people really maybe that's actually the, the the number one thing even before chisels is learn how to sharpen you know mm-hmm. it, so that when you have the chisels you can actually use them because nothing is worse than trying to do anything with a dull tool you know I mean think about with a power tool try to use your circular saw or your table saw or what have you with a dull blade it's it's right. the worst thing you can imagine and the, the same thing is going to be true for a, a hand tool you know, it definitely you you'll notice the difference from day one. Uh, the difference between a sharp hand tool and a, a dull one it's 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 mind boggling. Well, that's that's why I think a lot of people when they get into hand tools they they buy one because they know they should have one and then they start using it and they don't use it after that point because it wasn't sharpened properly. They don't understand what what you know what's the point. It's very difficult to use. It tears out the fibers. Um, but any off the shelf you know chisel or plane for that matter uh, is not going to be sharpened properly. Now if you go into a craft who actually does keep all of his tools nice and sharp and then you use their tools all of a sudden it's like you know the light bulb goes off and you go oh I can do that with this and I can do that and all of a sudden all these things are now possible you know when you realize you can actually plane end grain with a block plane all of a sudden it's like you know the angels sing and uh, the skies open up for you so you know it's sharpening and proper tuning is is key. Oh, absolutely! I, I can still think of the first time I, the the first set of chisels I actually I, I got for Christmas, and that was exactly it. it's like you know, hey, I'm gonna run downstairs, and I tried to use them like these things are crap. Uh, you got to get your money back; they're horrible. <laughs> you know? Right? Absolutely. They're just doing anything denning the wood. <laughs> um, so I I would say after the chisels, probably the block plane, just your standard block plane, would be a good tool to uh, to get the hang of. Absolutely, yeah, because you can do so much with a block plane. I mean, it, you know, and that's one thing is it's like uh, um, I think a lot of the power tool people, you know, if if you were to have only one or two hand tools, I say one of them has to be a block plane because even with, you know, using nothing but power tools, at some point you're going to need a block plane just to kind of, you know, kind of clean up a little edge or something. I mean, once in a while it's just two swipes of that, you're all set to go. So yeah. definitely. Absolutely. Uh, Let's see here. So we we we're thinking uh, um, yeah. definitely chisels, uh, a, uh, um, a decent block plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I would say, how about card scrapers? Absolutely, yeah. There's a good one. Yeah, could be easily overlooked. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, you know, because I like I used like a paint scraper for the first time, and that's what actually got me into uh, card scrapers. That, that uh-huh. sounds kind of going backwards a little bit. But it's like the first time I actually used uh, a uh, a scraper to actually even help me level out um, just a little bit of a ridge I had between panels, you know, where right. I was bringing something together. And then something was like, this is the best thing ever. And then yeah. once I actually got the card scrapers, and they're so easy to use. They are. You know, and, and extremely versatile, the- and, and it's a great tool to have and a good tool to master uh, the sharpening process. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, yeah. I watched uh, the video you did on. I'm like, oh, that's that's easier than what the hell I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. You, you got to try and find an easy way to do it. And if you if it's not easy, you're not going to do it. So you know, finding yeah, a simple way that works that's the key. Right. Okay. Let's see. Next, I think you you have to have a a saw, a hand saw, by all means. And I would suggest, for most purposes, especially with the today's shops and everything. Um, I would go for more of like a crosscut saw than I would. A, well, actually, uh, you can still get a rip saw crosscut. I, if you're going to be doing hand cut dovetails, which seems to be he said at the beginning of this, he wants to kind of get things going. With uh-huh. most dovetails, you're going to want to be using a rip saw because obviously the direction you're going in is with the grain, yep. which would be you know with with a rip saw. So probably chances are you're going to want to get a decent hand saw, and then this is where you kind of get into western. 
or Japanese. Right, you know, and right. you kind of go back and forth there because I'm loving my Japanese. So I just that's yeah, I've got one too. I love it. I think it's great. Oh yeah, there's just something. I mean, they're really thin, and they they I just like that pulling action. You know, it just yeah. it absolutely it catches faster. It feels like. And it, it cuts like butter. <laughs> not, well, not to mention, you look really cool using it too. Absolutely, yeah. But you got to you. You want to be genuine, though. You got to woodwork on the floor. Oh uh, well, in that case, um, I'm not very genuine then. Oh, well, I'm kind of <laughs> short, so it's almost like almost working on to the, the floor, floor. anyways. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I get out the bandana, and I, you know, my Mr. Miyagi stands behind me and <laughs> saw the board, saw the board. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I would say to add to your saw uh, recommendation, how about a um, a flush trimming saw, a flush cut saw? Absolutely, I uh, can one see of those that. really really flexible ones. I use those constantly. You know, if I've uh, filled maybe a, a flaw in the wood or something with epoxy, and there's a big bubble of epoxy that's dried, you know, it's kind of a pain to get that off. Sometimes I'll just use the flush trim saw. Uh, if I've got dowels that are sitting proud of the surface, you use it for that. That's definitely, and those are pretty pretty cheap too. Uh, you could pick up a couple of them and just, uh, if one gets all gooped up, you just grab the other one. So uh, definitely would recommend those as well. And that doesn't, you know, that doesn't take a whole lot of uh, skill to work uh, to work with. So definitely recommend one of those. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's one thing is with with the particular Japanese saw that I have. It's it's actually uh, it's uh, marples. I think is where I, I picked it up at Home Depot, and it's kind of funny because it's one of those with the the, the Japanese pull saw that I have. The, there's the, it's really sharp. It has a ton of teeth on it, and it's one of those. I don't think, and there's no way in the world I would ever be able to resharpen. I've tried to resharpen my hand saws before, and with the Western style mm. ones, I've actually gotten decent results. But I don't want to do it again because it took, it took a long time. It's a lot of work, so I, I bet. Yeah, and that's why I've I decided that this one it's it's rather inexpensive, and because of the and even if you took it to like a professional um, saw sharpener, a lot of the times these Japanese ones they're just kind of look at you and like I you can either spend a lot of money on me to sharpen this, or you could basically go back and get another one. And that's yeah, just go spend another thirty bucks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and the thing is that it it last it's lasted for a long time, and this one you know I I highly recommend that you know you go that route. But yeah, you can definitely spend a ton of money on those. Sure. But um you know I think the things that we've listed between the chisel, the block plane, um, uh, with a the, the couple of different hand saws, and uh, what are we missing something else in there? Well, I, I think we, we got his three to five, that's for sure. I mean, there are certainly other things, but um, right. that's a good place to start. Exactly, and that, that really kind of gets you in the door. And once you kind of learn those ones, and it, it takes – there's no getting around it. It takes practice, and but once you – you know, practice makes perfect, just like pretty much with any activity you're going to do – you have to practice once in a while, and so take your time. Make sure that everything's set up the right way. Learn the proper way to sharpen them if they need to be sharpened. In the case of the chisel and the hand in the the block plane, and once you get going from there, you know it's it's you're just amazed at the things you can do with it, and the fact that you were always thinking, well, I need an extension cord to bring that tool over here to to get right. that done. You know, yep, so absolutely. that's I think that's the way to go with that. Yep. So um, I yeah, concur. Yeah. Good, good. I'm glad that we're on, on board with that one. Now, let's see. <laughs> there, there was another one here that I think is right up your alley. In fact, uh, Sweet. I, I, I know it is. And let's see. I think it, I got it right here. Um, okay. This one is from Jeff. And Jeff says, you know, hey, guys, thanks for getting to my question episode five. Oh, oh man. Well, you're getting another question, Jeff answered. Darn it. Uh-huh. Uh, I agree with you, Mark, in that you'll learn much faster from people rather than literature. I also agree you must aim for projects that seemingly beyond your skill level. Okay, and this leads right into his question. Is uh, During his most current project, he's attempting his first inlay and had some surprises. He said he did his homework and watched the Wood Whisperer, Nudge Attaboy. Nudge Week, and the episode on inlay procedures, and he was trying to cut the letter W using a font that has many tight curves and angles. The letter gets as narrow as a quarter of an inch. He scored the cut lines after taping the pattern to the uh, the piece, no matter how careful he was. Uh, uh, I kept seeing the wood break. I pieced it together, but I wish I didn't have to. I switched the finest blade I have for my scroll saw, patted the saw to reduce vibration, started zero clearance around the blade, still breaks. Uh, And then, um, let's see, uh, another friend suggested to use thicker stock and then sand it down. What would your procedure be if needed uh, the inlay in one of your projects? Keep them coming if you needed the inlay for one of your projects. Mm Hmm. Okay. Well, I would say the 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 thing is if he's i think i actually wrote jeff back on this one uh but it's good for us to go over it um so he's he's got these little curly cues he's got really skinny things i mean the bottom line is you have to have uh 
you know, a very fine blade on the scroll saw. That's number one. Um, there are specific blades out there for, um, you know, marquetry work that are very, very fine. And I mean, they're almost difficult to work with because they're so fine. It's, uh, sometimes you need a magnifying glass just to figure out which direction the teeth are facing. Um, so if you've got that type of blade, that's, you know, that's half of the battle. Um, go slow, cut very slowly. If you get too aggressive, you'll snap the blade. Uh, but once you have that, you should get some nice, smooth, detailed cuts. Um, another thing to do is to try and orient your letter so that the grain works in your favor. If you've got, you know, if you've got like a W that has a, you know, the top of the W left and right sort of go out and stretch out really far to a little skinny point, um, you want to have the grain going vertically with your letter so that you don't have a chance of, uh, or you have less of a chance of uh, the tips breaking off. So orient the grain properly and that will help you a little bit. And I would say last option is Probably in, instead of, you know, cutting the material thicker so that it's a little bit, you know, more hardy to work with, I would actually take a very thin piece of material, you know, if you can get eighth inch thick plywood or something like that, keep a little stock on hand, or even if you have to go to quarter inch, that's fine, uh, but double stick tape your piece that you're cutting the material out of, the blank, double stick tape that to a backer board, and if you have that extra support and it's taped to that extra support, Kind of like we were talking about with tear out and using masking tape. Uh, it's the same idea. You have something supporting the fibers and it's actually taped to it uh, so you can get some really, really fine work done without the risk of it splitting because it can't lift up off the board. It's it's uh, actually taped down. So that's probably the the method that I use the most if I'm doing like a really thin stem to a leaf or some really fine detail. Um, I think those three things, combination of those three, should uh, should do just fine for him. Sweet, absolutely. And since I have basically zero experience with inlay, um, I'm going to concur with everything you said. <laughs> Perfect. Per that's what I like to hear. We're all in agreement. Absolutely, 100%. We're all on board. <laughs> Great. So, yeah, yeah, the closest thing I've had is I, I tried like a couple of uh, quote-unquote Dutchman kind of a things. Uh -huh, yeah. And that, that was like on one of my, um, as I like to call it, my, my country farm period in the antique out in the barn <laughs> piece. You know, it's like, oh, oh once okay. again, that was supposed to be like that. <laughs> nice. Did you, did you use a template kit for that? Uh, I freehanded a little bit. Yeah, I kind of drew. I had a little like a, a pattern that I drew out, and then I threw it on there. Yeah, and then I I kind of freehanded it and did the, you know, chisel that on there and everything. Oh, okay. and tried to get the best lines I could. So it definitely yeah. There, there's a few gaps here and there, but um, other than that, yeah, not so bad. Nice. Well, it, good it first start. You got you got to practice. Just like the hand tools, that is something you got to practice a lot, uh, before you really get the hang of it. But it's uh, a skill well worth learning. Absolutely. Yeah. Practice makes perfect. That's that's a really great way to go. Yep. So cool. Well, you know, uh, I think our last one was that, that Jeff, uh, he says he okay. likes to listen to us in the car because uh, he has a, a long commute. And I'm thinking that looks like we're coming up close to our, our usual like 50 minute to an hour mark. Yeah, that so, would be a long commute, I would say. Yeah. So definitely if we haven't caused any accidents by now, uh, people are definitely reaching for their third or fourth <laughs> cup of coffee. <laughs> uh, I would say so. I'd like to uh, quickly just throw out a thank you to our, uh, we have a fan who sent me candy. Ooh, hey. And oh. I'm forever in his debt. Uh, Bob Amarant actually hooked me up with a box of candy uh, in appreciation for our efforts. And I think he's looking to send you some candy too, Matt. So, um, Yeah, you know what? I just mentioned that one to my wife tonight. And I'm, actually, I suddenly thought at the last second, I'm like, I should keep my mouth quiet because that would make a great Mother's Day gift and she wouldn't have to know. <laughs> oh, there you go. No, I, I, um, I've already cracked mine open and indulged this afternoon. So uh, a big thanks to Bob and uh, just a you know sort of statement for anybody who wants to send us free stuff. We, uh, we like free stuff. Free stuff is fantastic. It's amongst my favorites, actually. Yeah, if, now, if I could find somebody who works for a microphone company that can get me a good deal on a wireless mic, I'd be uh, forever grateful for that, Ooh, too. Yeah, absolutely. I need one of those, but they are so expensive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely expensive. Yeah, and the guys down at Radio Shack just keep throwing me out every time I come down there. So <laughs> Yeah, you know, last time I was at Radio Shack was not a fun experience. It's not quite what it used to be. So <laughs> No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I went in there for a Firewire 
cord and I, you know, was like, I guess there's the two different sizes, the little skinny one that usually goes into a camcorder and the, I don't know if it's 400 or 900 pin or something, but, um, I asked them if they had it. Of course they said no. And then I did a little looking around and, and found it. And the guy had no idea what a fire wire cord was. So, um, <laughs> definitely in the wrong place. That sounds familiar. I have a, actually a pile of bags that more or less are returns to Radio Shack, but I can't convince my wife to go in there because I don't think they want me in there anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> so well, anyways, on that though. note, I think we should uh, exit stage left, my friend. Absolutely. Uh, we are so out of here. And and like we said at the top of the hour, if you – at the top of the hour. Yeah, it was about an hour now. Just about an hour. <laughs> we said at the beginning of the show, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, or by all means, freebies, lots and lots of freebies. Freebies, yay. You can contact us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com, and we will do our darndest best to make sure that we can answer your questions or accommodate you with sending us freebies. <laughs> that we will. That we will. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Keep the questions coming in, and by all means, all the adulations. Yeah, I'll just let that go. I don't know what adulation is. English is my second language, so it's probably (laughs) just swore. Nice. Very good. All right. Take care, everybody. See you around, everybody. Take care. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.